0: Hello and welcome to the Oxford PPE Society podcast series commemorating the centenary of the degree. In this series we're interviewing alumni and alumnae two and historians to give an insight into the degree and its students, its influence and how it's changed over 100 years. Our guest in this podcast today is Samuel Rainwright, um, doctoral research student of history at Jesus College and also one of the authors of the paper on the history of PPE over 100 years, um, together with, with Lily Schreiter. And Sam, my, my first question for you is, when you were working on the PPE Centenary Project, what was the focus of your research? And perhaps as a follow-up question on that, how does this uh, relate to your current research?
1: Yeah, um... So, primarily, uh, my research on the project focused more on the origins, uh, aims, and objectives of the degree. I wrote short biographical sketches on the uh, earliest teachers of PPE, notably A.D. Lindsay, Lionel Robbins, and G.D.H. Cole. Uh, I also wrote a short piece on Benjamin Jowett, whose 19th century uh, educational reforms prepared the way for a modern combined honors program. Uh, Additionally, I did some research on the early curriculum of PPE. Um, and looked into sort of the first uh, examination questions, how they were set. Um, in regards to how my current research uh, relates to this project, um, yeah, I do believe that there is sort of a significant overlap uh, between my own doctoral research and the work that I carried out for the centenary projects. Um, currently, I am studying the ways in which academics and uh, public intellectuals influenced government policies and shape public debates on revisionist in- uh, issues in interwar Britain. Uh, so the earliest educators of PPE, uh, teaching in the immediate post-Versailles moment, helped to shape uh, the first post-war generation of civil servants. Consequently, uh, I believe that this educational cohort influenced how the future policymaking elite understood the issues of the interwar period.
0: Piggybacking off this and just going straight into a bit more specifics is Mm. then looking at this this post-war period, um, what would you say, what was the reason for the creation of the PPE degree and what were the main aims and objectives behind that?
1: Yeah, um, so PPE sort of emerged at a time of change. Uh, Obviously, it came about in 1920, uh, but the debates on what this school might look like uh, were informed by broader shifts, movements and trends in higher education that dated back to the late 19th century. Um, Two figures that I uh, think we should talk about in particular, uh, one is Benjamin uh, Jowett, who uh, came to Balliol uh, as a scholar and remained there until his death. Uh, He was master from 1870 to 1893. Uh, Jowett aimed to transform Balliol into an ideal college, a place where higher education was tied to active public service. Uh, He once wittily remarked that he would like to govern the world through his pupils, True to this aspiration, uh, he attracted scholars from outside the United Kingdom, uh, emigrant, domiciled overseas, indigenous colonial inhabitants, and international students. Um, He was convinced that it was important to provide a means of giving the best education to the best intelligences in every class of society. Um, His achievements, Florence Nightingale thought, was to connect higher education to civic duty and public service. Before his tenure, the higher classes had been prioritized while the deprived had been dragged up. Jowett made room for both at Balliol. Indeed, uh, he was anxious to ensure that affordable accommodation was made available to poor undergraduates. Balliol, under his direction, existed to benefit and serve young scholars. And I think that it was in this spirit that A.D. Lindsay was appointed uh, as the Jowett Lecturer in Philosophy in 1910 and later Master at Balliol. Uh, Lindsay, like Jowett, was concerned with making education available to the best students without regard to their financial circumstances. His broader educational ideas uh, led him to explore methods for opening both Balliol and Oxford to a wider demographic. Uh, GREATS, the uh, famous tripartite school over which Jowett had presided and from which Lindsay had graduated, uh, was was the only combined honors program at Oxford. Uh, The school combined classical languages and ancient uh, civilization with philosophy. Uh, Lindsay, upon graduation, thought it an incomparable education. It was the best that Oxford had to offer, but uh, in his opinion, it was not available uh, to candidates who had not learned Latin or Greek. If Oxford were to open itself to the best applicants, it needed a combined honours program more connected to modern life. Uh, Before the First World War, there had been several unsuccessful proposals for a new school. During the war, uh, obviously interest in this area declined, uh, but the war itself inaugurated a renewed interest in educational reform. Lindsay's own service record uh, and his experience with servicemen doubtless contributed, uh, I believe, to his enthusiasm for post war educational reform. And I think that it was his sense of the needs of servicemen which led him to think that the university should provide some course in which men could study philosophy uh, without uh, a classical background. So I think the impetus for curriculum uh, reform came first and foremost from philosophers such as Lindsay. The Great's curriculum constrained philosophers since it tied their subject matter too closely to classical languages and ancient civilization. Uh, the moral philosopher Henry Sedgwick Riley observed that this uh, association ensured that philosophy was uncontaminated by any contact with reality. Lindsay and his colleagues were therefore inclined to support any proposal uh, that would enable philosophy to be examined in association with modern subjects. Uh, By 1919, uh, it was then resolved uh, the time had come to discuss a course connected with subjects other than classical civilization and language. Lindsay prepared and co-signed a report for an honor school in modern humanities. From the outset, the report proposed to teach pupils philosophy from other sides other than classical literature and history. The co-centers envisioned an honor school that would cover economics and politics or natural sciences with philosophy, providing the common theme. That is, candidates could either select to specialize in philosophy, economics and politics or philosophy and science. Uh, This proposal uh, didn't sort of generate the enthusiasm uh, that some might have uh, expected and was defeated. Um, But this proposal was quite different in purpose and scope from the proposal which became modern greats. Uh, whereas science grades uh, was proposed as a combined honors uh, school for candidates who wish to uh, learn scientific method and modern philosophy, Modern grades was an attempt to update and to reform grades. Greats had given its pupils insight into civilizational structure and prepared them for public office and service. Modern grades sought to replicate this framework and to adapt it to modern conditions. So for that reason, when the statute for PPE appeared uh, in the Oxford University Gazette, the preamble read, it is expedient to promote the study of the structure and the philosophical, political, and economic principles of modern society. Um, So the program coordinators wanted to ensure that PPE would not necessarily overlap with grades. So it was therefore decided that the new program should be concerned with present day civilization. Uh, It was important to give students some foundational knowledge, uh, but that knowledge should be modern. PPE then uh, was created in part to make sense of contemporary global dilemmas. For example, concerning the role of the state, the problems of international relations, solutions to unemployment, international disarmament, and even the nature of democracy.
0: So my next question would be then, um, outside of perhaps Balliol and in the wider university context, how did the PPE degree affect change at Oxford more generally?
1: Yeah, um, so in this period, like few colleges were academically prepared to support the non-philosophy components, which the new course thrust upon them. Um, as you know, Oxford is a college system and, uh, the colleges sort of dominate the way in which uh, subject matter is, is, um, taught. So this obviously proved to be, um, a problem. So Lionel Robbins then recalled his experience as a lecturer in economics as chaotic. Um, there was virtually no organization or coordination at the beginning. It was quite possible for university uh, lecture list to present two or three courses covering the same subject, while other more important fields remained without any coverage at all. The result was a school that lacked balance, uh, while it led to no special excellence on the philosophical side and encouraged sloppiness and superficiality in the other subjects. This was in part due to the fact that there was not enough qualified economists and political scientists to cover the non-philosophical classes. This led to less than ideal teaching situations, as you would imagine. Uh, Robbins, for one, thought it quite absurd to hear someone like uh, J.A. Smith, a professor of moral philosophy, pontificating on the methodology of economics with which his acquaintance was zero. Uh, Despite the improvised teaching arrangements, PPE grew remarkably with a 10% average annual increase in enrollment throughout the interwar period. Um, So this expansion forced ill-prepared colleges to appoint specialized tutors dedicated to modern studies. Uh, This development then provided PPE uh, with an incredible resource base of career academics, uh, who in turn obviously took on postgraduate teaching, uh, which then obviously led to further specialization in the fields of economics. Um, and politics at Oxford.
0: Then, talking a bit more about the the people involved here. So, you mentioned a bit in the beginning the the rather intellectual founders of the degree, but could you tell me a bit more about the the earliest teachers of the degree? What kind of influence uh, did they have in the degree, or how did they shape it?
1: Hmm. So, Robbins, uh, mentioned uh, earlier, was an uh, early appointee. Um, He was an LSE-trained economist. And he taught first as a lecturer at Oxford before being elected to an official fellowship at New College in 1927. Um, the economist James Mead uh, remembered Robin's lectures as a memorable experience. Um, he was not interested in devising new elaborate theoretical constructions, but used his first-rate analytic mind to discover and to teach his students how the application of good economic theory to real problems um, could make an important contribution Uh, to the formulation of wise and effective policy. Um, And Robbins was not the only PPE educator to make an impression upon uh, Meade. Um, Shortly into his second year, Meade joined the Cole Group, which was a socialist initiative formed around GDH Cole, then a fellow at university college. Uh, Cole was appointed to that post in 1925, And soon after his appointment, he uh, formed his eponymous group, which brought together 15 or so uh, chosen graduates or undergraduates uh, from seminars on the borderline between uh, academic work and political commitment. Um, Previously, Cole had tutored with the Workers Educational Association um, and the Cole groups sort of carried on the habits he had established as an adult educator. Uh, Cole's influence permeated PPE. Successive members from his discussion group rose to prominence within the Parliamentary Labor Party, uh, among them Hugh Gatskill, Michael Stewart, Evan Durbin, uh, and John Parker. But of equal importance uh, were those who became trade union secretaries, adult educators, and social reformers. Cole helped his students to articulate their own positions and implanted within them a desire to further educational, um, industrial, and democratic reform. There were numerous educators, though, whose passion shaped and influenced BBE. Cole and Robbins are but two examples. Uh, among the others are obviously Lindsay, uh, WGS um, Adams, John Maude, Alfred Zimmern, and HG Nicholas. Uh, and nor were these appointments the limited to men. Agnes Hedlam-Morley was elected to a fellowship in economics and politics at St. Hughes College, and Sybil Crow received uh, a lectureship uh, in politics at St. Hilda's College. What these educators shared in common was a conviction that the new school could provide candidates with a transformative education, uh, which would prepare them for diverse careers within a pluralistic and modern society.
0: That, that is a very nice overview and it's interesting how they each relate to their own colleges and um, how their pupils then then also continue to shape the United Kingdom even further. Um, mm-hmm. But talking about what you did with your research, um, could you tell me what was your, the favorite discovery you you made along the way?
1: Yeah, I quite enjoyed uh, sort of two, I wouldn't call them maybe discoveries, but there was two areas of research that I really did enjoy uh, undertaking for this project. Um, one was obviously researching the coal group because that was quite interesting just to see his influence, especially on um, sort of the interwar and post-war Labour Party. Um, obviously, you know, He had quite an important uh, role. Uh, His group helped to sort of uh, form and mold sort of young minds. Um, A name that I didn't mention before was Harold Wilson, um, the prime minister who came to Oxford. Um, And I believe he was, uh, he originally sort of was subscribed to the Oxford uh, Liberal Party uh, Club, um, but it was sort of in his interactions with Cole that led him towards labor. And I think that's quite interesting to sort of look at just the way in which these educators shaped and influenced uh, the minds that came through their classes and their tutorials. Um, You know, Cole was sort of a well-known radical. Um, Obviously, he had done some work with the Workers' Educational Association and sort of, you know, he, uh, he believed in sort of a tradition of free and informal discussion. And this sort of led to an introduction of question periods in his lectures, which was quite unique at the time. Um, and something even that uh, Wilson noted in his own memoirs. So this was sort of a nice, um, sort of a nice area of study. But um, another area in which sort of I took considerable pleasure in reading about was uh, A.D. Lindsay's enthusiasm uh, for university extension, extramural teaching, and adult education. Uh, he was closely involved in tutorial classes and the Workers' Educational Association, and. Um, and sort of a former student uh, commended uh, his contribution to successive uh, summer school programs, and in particular, his respect for the workers, um, which she believed was rooted in his admiration for artisanal skill and craftsmanship. I believe that Lindsay's motives in devoting so much time to working class education were simple and sincere. Uh, He regarded the workers as experienced technicians uh, doing important work in their own field and uh, whom he counted it not only an obligation, but a privilege to assist. Uh, His enthusiasm for university extension uh, and adult education were noted rather dryly in Sir John Betjeman's Summoned by Bells, while Sandy Lindsay from his lodge looks down, dreaming of adult education where the pottery chimneys flare on lost potential firsts in some less favored town. So uh, Lindsay was dedicated to educational reform. His aim was to open first-class education to a wider demographic, uh, and he pursued the same ideal in his efforts to admit women uh, to full membership at the university. Uh, Vera Brittain actually recorded when the preamble for the women's statue was to be debated, uh, young women queued outside the crowded congregation house to gaze with hero worship at their champion, AD Lindsay. Ultimately, Lindsay was concerned with making first-class education available to the best students without regard to their background or financial circumstances.
0: After, after having talked so much about the degree and its history, um, do you think you're able to, to perhaps sum like, summarize it in like one or two sentences? So what is the, what is the core of the degree? How could, you, how could you best describe it?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is something that I sort of wrote um, for the project, but I think PPE sort of built upon the educational culture that Jowett at first and later Lindsay had shaped at Balliol uh, to create an institution formed around the idea that higher education consists not in reinforcing our own biased opinions, but in studying, among others, unlike ourselves and learning to negotiate diverse ideas within a pluralistic society.
0: Well, that's very lovely. Then thank you very much, Sam, um, for thank you. taking the time and and giving us this this insight into the degree today. Um, it was really lovely. And I also want to thank all the listeners um, for their interest. Um, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. And we also encourage you to have a look at the other podcasts forming this series.